so I'll pick up in Mark chapter 1. And I'm going to read this to you, but I want to make sure you know, a lot of times when I'm preaching, um, preaching uh, narrative passages like this, you'll kind of pick up on one story and focus in on it. That seems to be what I do. But in this case, uh, there are really three movements that we're going to be looking at. And there's a big theme, really it's a theme I think that's really intertwined in Mark, but it really shows up here. So we're going to be looking at, starting in verse 21, looking down to verse 39, there are three things that are happening here. One, you'll see where he goes into the synagogue. Two, where he is healing uh, Peter's um, um, mother, or, uh, sorry, yes, Peter's mother-in-law. And then later when Jesus is out and he's thinking about what he's going to do next. So see those three movements, but there's a theme that kind of runs through that. What you're about to also look into before I read this passage to you, just know that we're at the beginning of the book of Mark. Uh, Mark here in, uh, in verses, you know, first, first verses of chapter 1, he introduces Jesus. Jesus comes on the scene, he's immediately showing up here, and, uh, and Mark just writes in a way that's kind of, we're moving on, we're moving to the next thing, moving to the next thing. He really gets, he's very consistent with his storytelling. But he's introduced Jesus, Jesus has been baptized, he's called his disciples, and then where I pick up in verse 21, his ministry really is starting. He's getting going with his ministry in verse 21. So I'm going to ask you, um, don't ask you to do this every time, but this Sunday morning I'd ask you to stand with me as we read the Lord's Word. We're just going to do so out of reverence of the, of the Lord's Word here. We're just going to read this passage. If you're not able to stand because I am reading a little bit of a lengthy passage. I understand that. But we'll begin in verse 21. We'll go down to verse 39. I just want you to hear uh, the, the, the way that this is unfolded for us together. Here's what it says. And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue of Jesus and taught. And they, those that were in the synagogue, were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee, who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, come out of him. And when one thing spirit had torn him, and he cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed, insomuch they had questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commanded he even the unclean spirits that they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round, uh, round about Galilee. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife, wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and anon they tell, her of his, uh, tell him of her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. And at even, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased, and them that were possessed with devils. And all the city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many that were sick of diverse diseases, and cast out many devils, and suffered not the devils to speak, because they knew him. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place, and there prayed. And Simon and they that were with him followed after him, and when they had found him, they said unto him, All men seek for thee. And he said unto them, Let us go into the next town, that I may preach there also, 
For therefore came I forth and preached in their synagogues throughout all of Galilee and cast out devils. I want to pray and ask the Lord to bless His word. Lord, we just read your word. That's the most truth these people will get from me in this next hour, next few minutes. But Lord, I pray that you will take that word, find its place in the heart, allow me to be a helpful servant of your word, to point these people to meaning and to application. Help them to see, open their eyes, God, to what's going on around them, and help them to see that Jesus is their hope. You all can be seated. I want to just kind of take your mind back for just a minute. It's kind of hard because we don't really, we're going to imagine something we haven't actually experienced ourselves. But just take your mind back 2,000 years. Try to do it again. Sunday morning. Most people that you know, I mean, even more so than in this day and time, I know not everybody goes to church even now, but it's, it's a thing. You know, going to church is kind of a thing for some people. But 2,000 years ago, nobody's going to gather to sing songs about Jesus. They're not even really sleeping late and going to brunch with their friends or taking the kids to a ball game. That's just not a way of life for them. In fact, um, if you do go to church, if you are a Christian, you do follow Jesus, and you do gather with other believers, you're probably getting up before work. Sunday morning, remember, but you're getting up before work because everybody's working on Sunday. That's just the way you did it. And you're probably meeting in a graveyard to celebrate, to recognize that Jesus is resurrected from the grave. And when you do that, you're doing it at the risk of being seen as part of an anti-government cult somehow being accused of cannibalism and accused of trying to overthrow the government and definitely being insubordinate to the emperor of the time. That's the people that Mark is writing to, Roman Christians, people who would have lived in that world where when they walked down the street, they would have seen in three dimensions, they would have seen demonic activity. They would have seen that. They would have seen as they walked down, they would have seen temples that were erected for the sole purpose of worshiping gods and goddesses in worshiping them in ways that we would find to be strange in our modern era and modern culture, ways that would be unusual, uh, things like burning incense, offering sacrifices, probably some animals, rarely but not unheard of, even some human sacrifices. Definitely sexual orgies in the name of the religion. They would have done uh, all kinds of uh, uh, all kinds of behaviors that they would have done in order to worship these false. We would understand to be false gods and idols. So whenever they're walking around, they're saying the devil is strong. Is what they're saying. He is in control. It seems like. And Mark is writing to these people to say. Hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. He's real, but there's a power that's stronger. And, and, and I want to make sure that I, that I connect the dots here for you, because when I start, when I start saying, because I'm going to say this a few times, when I start talking demonic activity, there's a couple of reactions you're going to talk about. Some of you that are a little Pentecostal-leaning are going to be like, yes, brother, why haven't you been talking about that before now? 
because you've seen you've seen devils everywhere. And some of you that are a little less that way, you're like, what in the world is he talking about? That was something that happened way back then, way back where. But I want you to understand that it wasn't just the Roman Christians who were seeing this. You may not see it in the same way. You may not be slapping you in the face in the same way because you sort of have gotten numb to it, I'm afraid. But let me just go ahead and tell you right up front, we've got demonic activity everywhere. You have to look no further than the people that, the minute that they got word, that there might be, not even, it wasn't even a done deal, it was like a maybe. There might be, that the Supreme Court might think about possibly overturning a law that made it so that you, that the law enabled it so you could kill your unborn child in the womb. And they thought, maybe that was going to go away. People lost their minds. Why? Because they wanted to kill their children. That's demonic. I don't care who you are. I understand that there may be, please let me just go ahead and tell you this, I'm at least something very can to understand that there are some circumstances of life that may make you feel like that's the only choice you have, but I want you to know you don't go taken to the streets screaming to the top of your lungs and laughing as if you're about to have your life taken away. That's the only reason you do that is because there's demonic influence in that sort of thing. Young people, young men walking into grocery stores and elementary schools to kill people that have been no, 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 they've never done anything to them. They just, they just were shopping or little kids going to school. You can't tell me that's not the devil at work. In a world where pornography is as easy to access as finding directions to the beach. In a world where pedophiles and abusers stand in pulpits in positions of authority within our religious circles, holding on to their power and those around them holding on to power more than they hold, they care about the people that they're supposed to serve. When that goes on, you can't tell me that there's not the devil involved. We are in June. I don't know if you know this or not. It'd be great if I'm informing you of this, but I doubt I am. It's Pride Month. It's not Sloth Month. Gluttony Month. I don't know these things are coming to the play. Lust Month. Pride Month. We've chosen to celebrate that particular sin. And I understand I'm I'm being a little glib. I understand that they are recognizing the homosexual community and some of the things that are going on there. But when you buy a box of cereal, it's got a rainbow flag on it acknowledging all that. I was telling you, what, why? Can you see it? Can you see it? Can you see it? The music that you listen to. You may say, well, ain't nothing wrong with what I listen to. Maybe not. I don't know. But it, you, have to, you have to tell me. You have to, tell, you have to talk to the Lord about this thing. The stuff you're listening to, is, and I can tell you, a lot of it's got some junk in it. A lot of it. The shows that you watch, the movies that you pay to go see. All of these, I understand on some level, they do appeal to the flesh, so I acknowledge that I have sin in me, so the sin is not just out there. I have sin in me. I know that. You don't have to tell me twice. Maybe I'll tell you. You got sin in you. 
We all got it, and I know it appeals to our flesh. I understand that. But don't miss this. The devil knew that from the beginning. Go to Genesis chapter 3. He knew what would appeal to Eve's flesh. He presented it to her to manipulate her, to point her down the path. That's exactly what he is doing to us today. He knows what makes us feel good. He knows what will make us numb. And he is presenting that to us. And we're gobbling it up and we are being influenced down that path. All I'm trying to get you to see is that the Roman Christians that Mark is writing to, as well as the Rockingham County Christians that we're preaching to right now, endure and are involved in a world that is overrun with demonic activity. And I've nearly scratched the surface of stuff that I think you all are at least somewhat aware of. Not to mention stuff that you've probably seen in your own life. If I really would have asked you about you'd say, yep, I saw it. That's where it was. And that's exactly the kind of world that we see Jesus operating in in Mark chapter 1. There's, there's, there's demonic activity everywhere, and it's doing damage all around him. And everywhere he goes, that demonic activity is diametrically opposed to Jesus and his ministry. It is fighting him tooth and nail all along the way. But here's the good news, folks, before I get into another, message, another point of my message. The good news is that the people in Jesus' day were not hopeless against the devil's work. Neither was the church in Rome, and neither are we today. We have, yet Satan is as active now as he's ever been. His minions are as active now as he's ever been. He is as powerful as he's ever been. But we have a Savior who is just as powerful. In fact, I would argue the Bible presents him as more powerful. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. So I'm not trying to get you scared to death as much as I'm trying to get your eyes open to see that you've got the one with you who is prepared and able to defeat these foes. He is right here, right now with us. He is the one that beats the devil every time. He is the one that wins. He will always win. But let me just show you in this passage, if we just read it, let me show you very quickly here, first of all, to make sure you understand that I'm not making this up, but there are demonic activities everywhere in, in Jesus' world. In verse 21, you see that Jesus and his disciples are going to go into the synagogue. So they're going to go. I know it's a different thing than it is now, but just for all intents and purposes, they kind of go into church. It's about what they're doing. They're going to a religious gathering. You hear the word preached. They're going to go to a religious gathering to have prayer. They're coming together with, with people who believe in God. So that's what they're doing with the synagogue. And when they go in, in verse 22, he starts preaching and he's teaching, and they're astounded by him. But the minute that Jesus starts preaching and teaching, in verse 23, it says, There was one in their synagogue, a man with an unclean spirit. Now, I want you to imagine this. We're here gathered together, and y'all are all looking nice and neat and orderly, like a good church folk ought to be. But if all of a sudden, out of the clear blue, somebody comes busting through those doors, or just as bad, somebody seated here, here, or here, stands up and starts screaming obscenities and starts telling me, you need to stop talking, man. What are you doing? You're trying to kill us here. That's what's happening. A man just pops up out of that, out of that synagogue and starts screaming at Jesus. Jesus, he says there, he says in verse, um, um, also verse 24, he says, let us alone. Those words there, let us alone, that are in the, in the Greek there, it's actually more of an exclamation. He just screeches at Jesus. Ah, what are you doing, man? Why? 
And you can just imagine this would probably break on everybody there. You can imagine everybody going, what's happening now? I can't even think about what's happening. All I'm trying to get you to see here is this is happening not down at the, as they say, the beer joint, not down at the, the honky tonk, not down on the poor side of town, the bad side of town, the, the, where the criminals are hanging out. Where is it happening? This happened in a religious gathering where the good people are. There's demonic activity. Do you see that? And then he goes on in verse 29. Later on, he goes down and he's going to, he's meeting up with, it says Simon, which we understand is Simon Peter. You know him as Peter, maybe. Uh, but Peter is Peter's mother in law, his wife's mother. He's sick, verse, 20, verse 30. And they heal her. Jesus heals her, verse 31. So we're, we're at his mother in law, Peter's mother in law's house. And this is a place where, I mean, this is where, where Peter probably was raised. I'm not, not saying it was a lap of luxury. I imagine it was a pretty humble home. It was probably a nice place, but nothing special. But what I'm trying to get you to see is these are, for all intents and purposes, regular folk. These are good people. This is a community where good people would have lived, normal people would have lived. And what happens after they heal, uh, after Jesus heals his mother, uh, Peter's mother-in-law, it says, in that evening, verse 32, the sun did set, and they brought unto him Jesus, all that were diseased, so everybody that had sick were sick in that town, they brought them, and they that were possessed with devils. Now, I'm telling you, Peter didn't live in a big place. We're not talking about some New York City-style place where there's got to be some demon-possessed people in the corner somewhere. No, this was regular old little rural town. For all intents and purposes, this is Madison. And there's sick people here, we know that. But per capita, we're looking at, there's also a bunch of people that are full of the devil in them, too. Do you see that? This is a regular place. Nothing special, a dot on the map for all intents and purposes. A place where good people live or people raise a family. But what do we see here? Whenever Jesus comes into town, you've got these people coming and they're bringing people that are possessed with the devil. All the city was gathered at the door, verse 34, and he healed me that was sick of diverse diseases and cast out not just a devil or two, but many devils. There's a lot of it. And then further, Jesus on the, the next scene, he's up on the mountain and he's praying, he's spending some time trying to decide what he wants to do next. And in verse 38, he says, I've got to go to the next town because I need to preach. That's why I'm here. Verse 39, so he goes and does what he says. He preached in the synagogues throughout all of Galilee and cast out devils. This was the reason that they were in. This would be, again, if we're in Madison, we've been going out to Rockingham County and in the, the Piedmont area. I mean, that's kind of the idea of this, where it's just kind of in the area that he is in. He is in that broader area. Everywhere he goes, he is seeing, not just in the bad part of town, not just over there, out there somewhere in some foreign land way far away, but in his backyard, in his area. What I'm trying to get you to see is that demonic activity is here, and it is prevalent. How in the world can we combat such a thing? The good news is, Jesus does it. exactly what he does. He is releasing people from the bonds of this demonic activity. In verse 25, when that man starts screeching at him, he rebukes him and says, Hold thy peace and come out of him, and that man is healed of that. That demonic activity, it does carry his body, but he comes out. He comes out of him. 
And then uh, going on in verse 34, what happens? Yes, they bring all these people that are possessed with devils, but he casts out those devils. And then in 39, when we see there, when he goes, he's not just saying, whoop, there's exit activity. He's actually casting out the devils as he does that. He's going everywhere and doing that. I'm trying to bring what I'm trying to get across to you home this way. A few years ago, uh, 40 something now, and in my early 30s, I developed some food allergies. I don't know how that happened. I could eat anything. Anything, and I did. I mean, I had to wait to prove it. Uh, I could eat anything in the world. But for some reason, in my early 30s, I developed some food allergies, particularly the seafood, certain, certain uh, shellfish, and things like that. And I tried to avoid it. And they give me, if y'all know much about allergies, they give you this EpiPen, they call it. You're supposed to carry that with you because if you accidentally get something and you get the airway thing, you can jab it in your leg and you'll be okay. Well, I've gotten pretty smart about what not to eat and how to avoid that, but it's not a big deal. I mean, I can afford to miss a meal or two, so I'm okay. So it's okay. But um, I've gotten to that point. It's been, like I said, it's been a few years uh, since then when that, when that developed. And um, what's happened though, they give you that EpiPen, and what I'm supposed to be carrying it everywhere with me, but it's kind of a hassle. But most of the time it leaves it at home. I think the one I have right now, not kidding, right now, it's probably expired. Probably expired. Don't know if it would actually do any good anyway. But I'm out and about, and there's times I'll eat a little something, and I'm like, hmm, hmm. Feel a little funny in my throat. I get a little nervous about it, but I have that epipen anywhere not near me. Couldn't do a thing about it to happen. You see what I'm doing there? I'm walking around kind of living dangerously, to be honest with you. That's what I'm doing. Because I don't have the thing that could save, that could rescue me. I want you to understand that Satan's influence is more prevalent and more powerful than you can even imagine. You had better take the rescuer with you every where you go. You don't need to leave him at home. You don't need to leave him on the shelf. You don't need to forget about him. You need to take him everywhere you go. But let me give you this here. We assume that when we come into church, this is a Jesus space. Everything's good. Everything's safe here. But if you're not bringing the Holy Spirit of God, by the way, we don't have him bottled up in the back. Do you know where the Holy Spirit dwells? in every believer. So if you're coming into this space and you have quenched the Holy Spirit of God, you are not living right, you are not right, your mind's not right, you're not right, and you're coming in here thinking, okay, well, I'm just going to come in here and I'm okay, everything's fine, and you're not even thinking about the Lord, don't be surprised when demons are controlling church folks' tongues, their motives, influencing their motives, and influencing their actions. Let me be super clear, just in case some of y'all have questions about this. I'm not suggesting that the devil's going to possess a Christian. That's not what I'm saying. If you're hearing that, you're missing me. But I can guarantee you, he's ganging up on you. Guarantee you, he's trying to get influence in you. And if you're not, when you come together with God's people, or really go throughout your whole life, and you're not focused on the Lord and saying, Lord, I know that there are people, or there's demonic activity all around me, and I need you right here with me, and I want you to tap into you as strong and as hard as I can. If I don't do that, let me tell you, there's influence all around me that's going to try to take me every which way. It's why I believe, it's why some of the stuff that goes on inside of churches that ought not go on, why it goes on. 
because we have left Jesus at home on the shelf and we think, oh, we're in church, everything's fine. Hang on a minute, we're all, we're all people. We're all failing, failing, failing human beings. We need Jesus. And apart from Him, we are fodder for the devil's, uh, the devil's work. Do you allow, instead of reading the Scripture and obeying the Scripture, do you get your theology, what you believe, how you look at the world, do you find that through the television, through music and books and the internet, searching those things instead of saying, what does God say about this? That's what I mean by taking the rescuer with you. You have, you have these literal words, the same words that cast demons out of people. You've got them in your possession, in the copy of God's Word. You've got them. Are you reading them? Are you internalizing them? Are you obeying them? If we do not, we are exposed. There's no safety except following close behind Jesus Christ. For the sake of time, let me just briefly tell you that this demonic, this demonic activity causes a lot of damage. You'll see there in that one man who tears him when Jesus brings the, the demon out, tears him in verse 26. We know that they're stealing deceit, which is why Jesus silences them. The point is that these, deep, these devils will cause as much damage as they possibly can. That's what they try to do. But it's only Jesus who has the power to blunt the activity of Satan. Otherwise, what's going to happen if we don't have Jesus, if we don't take him with us, what we end up doing is we end up allowing the devil to continue to hurt, to continue to lie, to continue to deceive, to continue to undercut, instead of literally claiming the name of Jesus and obeying and following him. What happens around us is we have our children, our grandchildren, our sisters and our brothers, our parents, our, our, our loved ones that are around us, our co-workers, everybody that we go to church with, all of those people damaged by the devil, deceived by the devil, because we're sitting over here and we think everything's fine. It's not fine, folks. It's not fine. You need Jesus to come and reverse that damage. You need Jesus to come and fight that, because nothing in this world is ever going to improve until you and I get close in behind Jesus and follow him. This is the point I want to make, and then I want to close with you. I want you to notice what these devils are doing. Jesus comes in, verse 21, he comes into that synagogue. This is really one of the first things he does after his baptism and calling of the disciples. One of the first things he does in his ministry. And all he's doing is preaching and teaching. He's preaching and teaching with authority, what it says in verse 22. And he's offering, clearly offering a solution, which is why Peter says to him, I think it's Peter in verse 38, says, everybody's coming looking for you. But Jesus has the answer. But I want you to understand that Jesus is not just a nice man doing good things. This, this thing is, okay, you're in chapter 1, go to verse 15. This is what Jesus' message is. Well, go to verse 14, if you see this. This is his message. Jesus comes into Galilee and he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Here's what he's saying. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Now, i got to do this. When I hear the word gospel, when I hear the word gospel, when you hear the word gospel, I think you're thinking Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and rose again. That is the gospel. Don't hear me wrong. That is the gospel. 
But the word gospel means something even more indifferent than that. Let me hear I want you to understand this. What Jesus is doing is he is proclaiming the entrance of a new king. That's what that word gospel in that context. When I were if I were in the first century and I was saying gospel, I was saying there's a new king coming. There's a new king coming. There's a new king coming. Now that sounds joyful, right? That's awesome. The problem is, what about the old king? If there's a current king and there's a new king coming, what's going to happen? Y'all know how that stuff works? There's a battle. There's a clash. There's conflict. Jesus is preaching, there's a new king coming. I am here. I am here. I have come to take my throne. That's what he's saying. Surprise, he walks into the synagogue, and what does the demon say to him? Verse 24, let us alone. What have we do with, to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. The demons are fighting his authority. We know you're coming to take the throne. We know you're coming to say you're in charge. We know you just preach with authority. But would you please be quiet? We want to keep doing what we want to do. It stirs up resistance. Where Jesus is preached, the Spirit reigns. And where the Spirit reigns, the devil don't like it. Because demonic activity is inherently anti-Christ. I know we think about Antichrist as the end times and all that, and that's appropriate and right, but the concept of being Antichrist against Christ, that is what the nature of demonic activity is. When Jesus is resisted, when he is ignored, when he is overlooked, you know what we're doing? Exactly what the devil wants us to do. Because whenever we start preaching about Jesus and we start obeying Jesus and we start following after Jesus, you better believe you're going to get some resistance. You're going to get some conflict. They don't like that. They want to step that down. And you've got the one who's more powerful, but you better be adhered to him, stuck by him like glue. Because when he's in charge, he'll take care of it. But you better believe there will be demonic forces coming against us. The problem is we don't feel that. You know why? Because we're over here stuck like glue with the demonic forces saying, yeah, everything's good. I'm going to resist what Jesus told me. I'm going to ignore what he's saying. I'm going to overlook what he's saying. Can you see that? If I'm on your side, you ain't going to fight me, are you? No. Where else, why would you fight me if I'm on your side? When I'm, whenever you're going to fight me, it's when I'm on your enemy's side, right? So why aren't we feeling more of the devil's fight? Maybe we're on his side. I think this is the reason that we can explain. You go to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 to 23, there's something called the fruit of the Spirit. It's why we can explain in our lives, you know what, maybe this is why we don't have more joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Maybe that's why we don't. Why? Because those things are only produced not by the devil, but by the Spirit, the Spirit of God. And why it's so prevalent in our lives and in the lives of people around us 
to have what is called the fruits of the Spirit, or rather, fruits of the flesh. Adultery. Sexual obedience. Immorality. Promiscuity. Materialism. Drug abuse. Hatred. Fighting. Jealousy. Angry outbursts. Selfish ambition. Dissension. Clicks and factions fighting with each other. Envy. Drunkenness. And overconsumption. By the way, that's just out of Galatians chapter. I didn't make any of that up. That's out of Galatians. Y'all think I was, what do you know about me? I just read the Bible to y'all. By the way, that's all that is. That's Galatians 5, 19 through 21. I'm just trying to get you to see if maybe some of y'all are sitting there saying, man, I'm, your words, if you were to talk to me, because you know, I'm a preacher, because you want to talk about spiritual things, and you're going to say, well, I'm sure I'm struggling with this sin. But if you're honest with yourself, it ain't no struggle. You do it just fine. You're enjoying it pretty much. You get a little guilty about it because you come to church and you hear somebody say something about it, but otherwise you're pretty cool with it. You know why that is? Because you are siding with the demonic forces. You are not anti-Christ. I mean, you're not on Christ's side. You are anti-Christ. You are against Him. We've got to take Jesus everywhere with us. We've got to have Him in us, filling us, driving us, guiding us, driving our lives so that instead of the fruits of the flesh, we can produce these fruits of the Spirit. The greatest danger, I believe, and I'm closing, is failing to realize that the devil is strong and determined and present in our lives. I think there are some of you seated right here, and I'm not, I think this is true generally a Christian, but I'm going to say I think it's true of some of you that are seated here listening to me right now, that you are thinking, but maybe before I started talking, if I were to talk about demons, you'd say, yeah, that's a thing, but yeah, I don't see it happening much around me. I think that's the greatest danger. The devil wants you to think everything's okay. But you've got to understand, he is everywhere in every setting. He wants nothing more than to destroy you, and he wants you to deflect glory away from Jesus. And he'll do it any way he can. He'll show up church and create discord. He'll stifle the moving of the Holy Spirit. He'll make it about anything but Jesus. He'll walk with your children, pull them towards immorality, drug use, alcohol consumption, poor self-image, spiritual complacency. This is the stuff he deals in. This is the drug, if you will, that he's dealing with children. He'll go home with you and create conflict with your spouse. He'll sit right beside you and make you feel justified that I'm okay to not like that person. I'm okay to feel a little greed. I'm okay my selfishness isn't really selfishness. I'm just looking out for myself. He'll give you plenty of reasons to not go to church, not read your Bible, not share your faith. But I want to encourage you, and I'm closing. I promise you I'm closing. I mean it. I mean it. I mean it. I want to encourage you to know you don't fight this fight alone. This is my whole message. You don't fight this fight alone. You've got a powerful enemy. Better wake up to that. And you've got a powerful faith. He can cast those demons out. He can knock them down. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's Bible too, by the way. I didn't make that one up. 
He will do it. That's what Jesus does. He does. And I want to invite you now. My question is, are you taking him everywhere? So I'm inviting you now to commit to follow him. Won't you stand? Would you commit to follow Jesus? Would you commit to follow close behind him? Would you commit to submit your life to him now? I want to invite you to make that commitment now. Maybe you just want to come up here and pray. Maybe you want to come here and just say it to somebody else. Say, Matthew, I'm making that commitment today. I want to encourage you to do that. Because I promise you, if you'll commit that, you'll stay close to Jesus. He's not going to fail. By no means will he ever fail. Lord, please move among your people. Help them to follow Jesus. Resist the devil. We ask this in Jesus' name.